I'm the truth. So if you want to be made right with God, you have a relationship with Jesus. And so we often think about truth in terms of like correct and incorrect, right and wrong, right? But Jesus introduces us to this reality that he is a person and we have a relationship with him. So to know him is to know truth. It is, it's incredible. And this week he takes this a step further and we're still in this conversation with Jesus and we're going to be talking this week about the Holy Spirit. And Jesus introduces his followers to the Holy Spirit. And, and I want you to know the, the Holy Spirit, he is a person. So what Jesus is talking about when he says, I am the truth, He's saying that we actually can have a relationship with him. And, and then he starts to tell his disciples, by the way, I'm leaving. I'm going to the cross. And they're just confused, right? Because they've just spent these three years with Jesus. And they start, they're starting to believe that he's the truth, that he has the truth, that he speaks the truth, that he is the truth. And then he talks about how he's leaving. But then he says, but I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. And it is, it is incredible. And what Jesus is saying in this passage is that the Holy Spirit he actually will come and live inside of us. And so, and, and so last week, uh, if you were here last week, we, Vicky and I had our good friends, Hannah and Tyler. They stayed with us for a week. Um, they moved here six years ago to Thunder Bay. They helped us um, in the early days planting Transformation Church. And they've since moved back to Halifax. And now they're going to Nashville. And they got all this uh, exciting days ahead of them. But one of the things that Tyler and Hannah do when they're here is, is that they insist that Vicky and I take a night away. So we don't get to do that very often. We have six kids. Two of them are three, okay? <laughs> um, if you see Randall today, uh, he's got a Band-Aid on his chin because he, he found my, my razor, and he thought, and he thought I'm going to try to shave. And so uh, I was out last night with my other boys uh, on the hill, and I came home, and there was, like, bloody Kleenex in the, in the uh, bathroom <laughs> garbage can and on the bedside table where I had left my razor foolishly. Uh, there was, like, a little bit of blood. And so he got a hold of it and was like, started to shave and he cut himself and Vicky was like, what are you doing? He's like, well, dad does it. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's Randall. So life is busy with kids, right? And Hannah and Tyler, they're always insist like you guys go away for, for the night. So Vicky and I get to go away and it's, it's always a treat to do that. But what Vicky does wisely before we go away is she starts talking to Randall and Henry about somebody's going to be here to watch you. Okay. So Hannah and Tyler are going to stay. Mom and dad are leaving. Okay. And so it just prepares them for when we're gone, right? You follow me? If you have kids, you maybe have had to do that. If you've been a child, maybe that's been done for you. You've prepared for things that are coming, right? So that when we do leave, they don't throw a fit. Well, the Holy Spirit, and I just want to make this really clear, because illustrations always fall apart at some point. The Holy Spirit is not a babysitter, okay? What I'm trying to pull out from that is that Jesus, similar to what Vicky was doing in preparation for us leaving, He's preparing his followers. He's saying, listen, I'm leaving. I know it's a scary thought. I'm not going to be here in physical form with you. But my Holy Spirit will be with you. And Jesus says some really profound things. He says, he is with you now. He will be in you. So Jesus is also talking about the Trinity. He's saying, and, and so to follow this, okay, and sometimes it's hard to fully understand it, but what Jesus is saying is he's saying, okay, the Holy Spirit, he's coming to you, but he says, he's with you now. So he's pointing to himself. He's saying, I am the Holy Spirit. I'm God. But my, I'm leaving. I, my, physically, I'm leaving. I'm going to go be with, with the Father, and the Holy Spirit is going to come. And he will be inside of you. This is, this is profound, okay? Um, so before I read this, I just want to say, 
Jesus, when he introduces the Holy Spirit in this passage of Scripture, it, it might be different than what you're expecting. And so I don't know what your experience has been when, when we talk about the Holy Spirit or when the Holy Spirit's been talked about in church. I've had, like, good experiences with talking about the Holy Spirit. I've also had some bad experiences, okay? I just want to put that out there. Sometimes people do crazy things and they say it's the Holy Spirit. Uh, sometimes people claim to speak for God or claim to speak for the Holy Spirit, and they, they do things that you're like, man, that's just bizarre and weird. Um, I'll just put it out there. I've been in church services that have made me feel really weird, and I don't think it was just weird because God was doing something good. I just think it was a little bit weird, okay? <laughs> and there's been times where I'm like, I don't even know if I want a part of this. But I also want to say that when the Holy Spirit fills a person and comes upon them, that sometimes strange things do happen, Okay? And, and, and if you were, were going to read in Acts, when the Holy Spirit for the first time comes upon the, the apostles, they start speaking in tongues, they start proclaiming God with boldness, and then they go out from that place, they're healing people, God's doing all these amazing things, okay? So there's this, like, this side of the Holy Spirit that when he comes upon a person, he empowers those people for, for great things. But then there's also a side of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit here very differently than what we read about in Acts. And there's a specific word Jesus uses that's only found in the writing of John. And Jesus is introducing us to the Holy Spirit and what it means to be his, what it means to follow him. And so I just, I'm going to pray. Um, one of the things, like, talking about the Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm like, man, getting ready for this message, I've just been thinking, God, I, I don't want this to just be a bunch of words because the Holy Spirit is actually, he's a person. He's, he's here right now, okay? The Holy Spirit is with us now. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever wanted to be in the room when you're being talked about. Um, God gets to do that all the time. And I think sometimes he's like, no, you get that one way wrong, <laughs> okay? And so my desire is that as we talk about this, that you would have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. So I'm just going to pray. I'm going to invite him to speak. Uh, and then we're going to read Jesus' words and his introduction of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Lord, I just want to thank you for your word. Uh, I just want to thank you, Jesus, for how you, you introduce us to your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I know that you're here with us now. And we just, we just invite you to have your way. Jesus, you, you talked to your disciples about the Holy Spirit because you wanted to prepare them for what life would look like after you rose from the dead, after you went to be with the Father. And here we are 2,000 years later, and Lord, we need your Holy Spirit in us. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd open our ears to hear what you're saying, but I also just pray that there'd be a real sense of you with us this morning as we have this conversation. In Jesus' name, amen. So John 14, I'm going to start in verse 15 and go down to 31. And, and again, this is Jesus' first time. And uh, if you're following through the Gospel of John, this is the first conversation Jesus has about the Holy Spirit. Okay, he's, he's kind of briefly mentioned uh, in John prior to this, but nothing in depth. This is where Jesus actually does some significant teaching on who the Holy Spirit is. Starting verse 15, this will be on the screen. It says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you 
and will be in you. You catch that? So Jesus is saying, he's introducing them to the, to the Holy Spirit, right? Which is a new concept for them. But then he says, but, but you know him because he dwells with you. He's with you now. So he's saying to his, his, his followers, like, he's with you now and he will be, future, he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So there's this beautiful dance. I'm going to touch on that later in here, where Jesus is talking about God, how he's one with God, okay? And he's talking about the Holy Spirit, who's, who's going to be with the people, who's going to be in the people, and he's saying, and he, so there's this distinction. It's, it's God, it's Holy Spirit, it's Jesus, but then Jesus says, I am Holy Spirit. I am God. And so there's this distinction, but there's this unity. Whoever, uh, oh, verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the, whole, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. And so... I'm just going to draw out three truths from this teaching, and we're going to, we're going to talk in depth about the Holy Spirit. But first, and I just want you to, to notice, Jesus, in this conversation he's having, this deep talk with his followers, he, he talks about obedience and the Holy Spirit at the same time. And, and there's a reason for this, okay? So uh, I'm just going to give you the outline of what, what we want to look at today. And so first is that obedience to Jesus is evidence of loving him. Second, we're going to look at the person of the Holy Spirit. Who is he? And then the role of the Holy Spirit. What does he do? So first, obedience to Jesus is evidence of loving him. So I just want to ask you this, this question, okay? So do you obey Jesus? Do you actually do the things he wants you to do? So and this is, and the reason this is important, Jesus is talking about obedience. This is one of the most, the trickiest things in the church, okay? Because when we start talking about obedience, we start feeling uncomfortable, right? Because maybe, maybe we could think about times in our life where we're like, oh, I'm not obedient to God, or I do things wrong, or I mess up, right? And Jesus is saying, if you love me, you'll obey. But he actually, right when he's talking about that, he introduces us to the Holy Spirit. Because what he's saying is, you can't obey in your own strength, it is going to take the Holy Spirit in you to give you the ability 
to obey. Because obedience to God is not something that we can actually do. And, and the commandment, okay, so did you catch what Jesus says? He's like, you know, obey, do the things that I say. Do you know that the main commandment, if you're going to go through the Gospel of John, and we're, we're focused in here on the Gospel of, of John, okay? So Jesus, when he's saying all these things, the Gospel of John wrote uh, this Gospel to, to highlight some really important things to people that would, would read it for years to come, like us today, 2,000 years later in, in Thunder Bay. Do you know that the command you're going to find in the Gospel of John over and over and over again is, is, is love. I'm going to read uh, one of the places that emphasize it. John chapter 13, which we read a couple weeks ago, says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So, so Jesus, when you, when you read what Jesus says here, he's talking about like, if you love me, you're going to obey me and, and you're going to obey my commands, okay? And so if you're going to ask the question, well, what commands is he talking to? You've you got to really do a deep dive into the gospel of John and say, okay, when John's using that word, what's he trying to draw our attention to? And the command that comes up over and over again in John's gospel is loving each other. Right? And you know what Jesus is, is emphasizing here to his followers? He's saying, like, the command that I'm giving you is that you love each other. In a community like this. And you know what's really hard to do is to love each other because we are so different and we're so divided on so many different things. You know, I listened to a sermon this week. There was a big conference down in the States um, where people from our church denomination get together every four years, and they had some incredible speakers. And they had this one guy, and he's, he's a world-class speaker, and he was talking about love. He was talking about Jesus' command to love, like he's saying here in John. And he was just talking about the last few years with, with the, what's gone on in our world with, with the vaccine and all the different rules and all the laws. And he was like, it was so funny. It was so refreshing for me to hear this because this guy's a, he's a pastor, um, but he's just ministered in some really large context. And he just talked about like the thing that's bothered him in, in, in what's gone on over these last few years is just the hatred that people have been spewing towards one another. Not, not even outside the church, but just inside of it. And, and in the sermon, he was just saying, he's like, if you want to put Jesus' words into practice, like, what that means, it's not loving people that y- y- are easy to love, right? Not the ones just that agree with you or you want, you know, like, you kind of get, get along together because of similar beliefs. He's like, if you're going to take Jesus' words seriously, it means loving people that are other than you, people that are difficult to love, people that you get around them and you just get flustered and frustrated. He's saying, that's what Jesus is saying to do. So the command, when Jesus is saying, if you love me, obey my commands, if you go looking through the Gospel of John, what commands is Jesus talking about? The, the command that rises to the top, the thing that comes to the top in, in this Gospel is the command of love. Like that's, what, that's what Jesus is emphasizing when he's saying this. Uh, Bonhoeffer, you, you may be familiar with that name, but he, he's a German theologian and pastor, and he was a seminary uh, teacher who resisted what was going on in Germany during the Second World War. He resisted the Nazis. And he's got this uh, quote, should be up on the screen, says, only those who obey believe. Only those who obey. And, and if you read, okay, and I, put the, I think I put the page number on there. If you look up the cost of discipleship uh, and go to page 69 and read this context, he actually flips the words because he says, Usually people would say, only those who believe will obey. 
And Bonhoeffer flips it. He says, no, no, no. He's like, only those who obey believe. The people that obey Jesus, those are the ones that, that believe. And Jesus, in this conversation he's having about, uh, about the Holy Spirit, he's talking about obedience. And, and I'm going to read uh, a couple, right from what we read. I just want to highlight the thing that just screams at us from this section. Okay, so we just, we just read it. I just want to highlight three times where Jesus is emphasizing this obedience, okay? And, and they'll be all up on the screen at the same time. Uh, and so it's all from this, this chapter, second half of the chapter that we just read. It says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. So Jesus is saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Secondly, he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. So, it, you can put the next slide up too, Jacob. So why do Christians obey Jesus? The reason why we obey Jesus is because we love him. So if, if you're a follower of Jesus, like the reason we obey, the reason we do the things he wants us to do, it's just, it's because we love him. You know, I, I had an encounter with Jesus when, when I was younger uh, as, a, as a teenager. And uh, so this was before I was married. And, and I remember like, wrestling with some of the commands that I find in the scriptures as far as what a, a relationship should look like, okay? And so as a teenager, just wrestling with like, so, so really like if I'm going to live for Jesus, does that mean that I got to wait till I'm married to, to be with my wife? Like, does, like I have to actually put that into practice. Does that mean that when my friends want me to like look at some things that I shouldn't be looking at, that I have to resist that? And I just want to tell you the, the, a secret uh, about like living for Jesus, I had a lot of friends in the church that just like flat out walked away from God. And, and the way that most people see the commands of God, it's almost like they see it through a lens of judgment. Like if I don't do what God wants me to do, so if I, if I sleep with somebody before I get married, if I whatever, if I lie, if I steal, if I cheat, if I whatever it is, like God's just angry. And so People will try for a long time to do what Jesus is saying just to be obedient because they want God's love. And, and you, you can't do that. We, we will all fail. What Jesus is saying here, he's saying, you're, like, your obedience comes from a place of love. So when, when God gives you a command, when you find a command in the scriptures where Jesus says something that's really hard to follow, like, you're not doing that because you're just afraid of the judgment of God. You're doing it because you're like, I love God. I, I love Jesus. Like, and, and, and like, there is judgment. Like, you read the scriptures, there is judgment. But that can't be our motivation for following him. Because if it is, it's not going to last very long before we're off the path and we're doing our own thing. But I will tell you, as a follower of Jesus, there's been times that I've failed. I've gotten it wrong. But then what I, over and over again, yeah. But then what I come back to is I'm like, but if I, but I love Jesus. And so it's not as much as like, I'm just afraid of punishment, which I am. There's a, there's a fear of God that I believe is healthy. But stronger than that, it's like, no, I love Jesus. I actually love him. And that's what Jesus is saying here is that, is that if you love me, then you'll keep my commands. But he also says like, and, and even with that idea, like, I'm still not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit to empower you. So the reason we, we obey Jesus 
is because we love him. So this, the second one, and I want to just talk about who is the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, who is he? If you've ever done uh, a catechism, you'll be familiar with this format that I, that I have here. I asked the question, I don't know if it's up on the slide, but uh, the person of the Holy Spirit, who is he? The Holy Spirit is God, and he lives inside of those who are his, okay? So the Holy Spirit, he is God. So we're, we're, we've moved past the obedience part, and now Jesus is, is talking with the Holy Spirit, and he's actually showing us how we can go about living for him and following his commands. So the Holy Spirit is God, and he lives inside of those who are his. In, in uh, verse 17 of the chapter we read, it says, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. In Ezekiel, there's an Old Testament prophecy. I just want to read a couple verses from Ezekiel. So chapter 36, verse 25 to 27 this was written at a time when people were failing God over and over again. God had given a, a covenant to his people and said, you know, obey me, do the things that I say. And over and over again, they were falling off. They were disobeying. They were disappointing God uh, as far as like following his, his covenant. And, and you know what he does? He actually prophesies the coming of the Holy Spirit. It says this in verse 25 of Ezekiel chapter 36. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules you shall dwell in the land I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Like, if you, if you catch what he's, like, God, this is like long before the coming of Jesus, and God, through this prophet Ezekiel, says, there's a day coming where I'm actually going to put my spirit inside of you. So when, when people heard this back in Ezekiel's day, this is like hundreds and hundreds of years before the coming of Christ, they, there was hope, there was an excitement about it, but they didn't fully understand it. And then Jesus, he's having this, this conversation with his disciples right before he goes to the cross, and they still don't fully understand it. He's repeating some of the words of Ezekiel, and he's saying, this spirit I'm talking about, he's actually going to be inside of you. I don't know what, what that does for you, but when I'm going through really difficult and dark times and I just feel like giving up, I'm reminded of Jesus' words where I'm like, no, God actually lives inside of me. Like, if, if the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of me, then why would I be intimidated by the things that would intimidate most people? I'm not, I'm not not intimidated because of my own strength. If I was left to my own strength, I would be intimidated. I know that I've made mistakes over and over again. But what God is saying to us in Ezekiel and then hundreds of years later with Jesus is he's saying, my Holy Spirit is going to be inside of you. And so I just want to... Uh, and, and I'm, I'm usually careful to do this. I don't like talking a lot about Greek words because I don't want, if you've never studied Greek, I don't want you to ever feel like you need, like the Bible is not enough, that you have to go back to the original language. You don't have to go back. God has revealed to us his truth in a language that we can understand. But there are some times where it's helpful to know the original word that was used 
because it teaches us a little bit of kind of the emphasis uh, of, of what was trying to be um, communicated. And so I just want you to see, in this passage that we're looking at in the second half of John chapter 14, you see this word, Holy Spirit, okay? Did you, did you remember that when we read it? Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, that in, in the Greek language is hagios pneuma, okay? So most times when you hear the word spirit, the word pneuma is used. Hagios is holy. Pneuma is the word for spirit, okay? And it means wind or breath. In the Old Testament, it was ruach, okay? It was a Hebrew word that also meant breath, okay? Wind, this, this energy. But in John's gospel, this is the only place where we see this other word used, um, and then also in 1 John, to describe the Holy Spirit. And it's this word parakletos. Parakletos, okay? Um, or paraklete is the, if you were just to say it, singular. But Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit, he is, is a helper. So you might have saw it on the screen um, when we read through the passage that it, it comes up as the word helper. In... in uh, I'm going to read you the different words, English words that are used in different translations. So when that word helper is used to describe the Holy Spirit, uh, other words that are used um, instead of helper are helper, there's comforter, teacher, advocate, counselor, guide. And you know what Jesus is communicating to us here? This word parakletos in the Greek language of the day was a word that was used for somebody who was a legal aid. So if you were going to court and you were afraid of what was coming your way, uh, you would bring with you this parakletos, this legal aid who advocated for you to the judge. They were somebody that fought on your behalf. They gave you counsel. They comforted you. They guided you. They helped you. And so when Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit for the very first time to his disciples, he uses this word parakletos and it's actually a word that shows us that there's a relationship we can have. So a lot of times when we think of the Holy Spirit, we think of power. And there is. When you, when you read about the stories of the Holy Spirit coming upon people, there's this power and it's incredible. But what Jesus wanted his disciples to know when they were first learning with the Holy Spirit was he was saying, you can actually have a relationship with this Holy Spirit. He's, he's your helper. He's your guide. He's your counselor. So, um, and, and God, God is, he's too big to be defined by one word, okay? So, so uh, th- these are just words that introduce you a little bit to, to who he is and how he operates. But I just want you to think about for a minute, uh, what, what does it look like to have the helper, the comforter, the teacher living on the inside of you? When you don't know something and you know that the teacher lives inside of you. When you, when you feel just overwhelmed and you feel like you're going to give up and the comforter lives inside of you, God himself lives inside of you. When Jesus talks about the comforter um, in this passage, in this conversation that he has, he talks about how the, the, the comforter comforts the disciples after Jesus' departure. He teaches the disciples. He testifies on behalf of Jesus. He convinces the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He guides the disciples into all truth and he tells them about what is to come. And that Holy Spirit lives inside of each of us. What, another another uh, incredible word that was used, and this is after the Bible was written, early uh, Greek-speaking church fathers used this word perichoresis. 
to, de- to describe the relationship that God has with himself. And I want you to understand this with the Holy Spirit because it's really beautiful. So the word, you're familiar with the word choreography? You know what choreography is when you're like, I won't ever do that again. <laughs> okay. Um, it comes from this word, perichoresis. And, and early Greek-speaking church fathers, after the resurrection of, of Jesus, when they were trying to figure out what's the relationship that, that God has with, with the Holy Spirit, with the Son, like what is this relationship? And they use this word, perichoresis, and, and basically it means a divine dance. And it's really beautiful because when, we, when you think about the Trinity, so God reveals himself as, as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Do you know that if God was unipersonal, Okay, so if it was just one, if there was no trinity, then at his very core, all he would be is power. He couldn't be love because there would be no one to give to express love to. But do you know that when, when, when God reveals himself, he reveals himself as father, as son, as Holy Spirit. They're, they're unique, but they're one. Okay, and there's this divine dance, this perichoresis that happens within the Godhead. And do you know what that reveals to us about God? It reveals to us that God at his very core is love. Like before the foundation of the world, like God didn't need to create people to have someone to love. God had love within himself because he's tri-personal, right? He's father, he's son, he's Holy Spirit. There was already community. There was already fellowship. There was already love. And so when Jesus is saying, he's actually inviting us into that. So when he's giving us the Holy Spirit and he's saying, my command is for you to love each other, he's saying, I'm inviting you into this relationship of divine love. And the love is so deep, it's so rich, it's so profound that nothing breaks it, that, that divisions can't separate it. And he's inviting us into that. But it already existed. God didn't need you and I to have someone to love. He already had love. Because of this Father, Son, Holy Spirit relationship, there's this divine dance that happens within God. And so lastly, and this is, this is where I want to close this conversation with the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit, what does he do? Okay, and, and so the question is, what, what, what does the Holy Spirit do? And, and there's two things mainly that we see emphasized in Scripture. First, that he empowers us, and the second, that he creates intimacy with God. I'm not going to uh, spend much time on this, but I just, he, the Holy Spirit, he does, he does empower us, okay? And, and there's this idea that exists within Christianity um, that goes something like this. You know what, I'm a, I'm a sinner, I'll always be a sinner. I'll always struggle until the day I meet Jesus and then he's going to make things right. And, and there's, there's some truth to the struggle. You know, there, there's some truth to the reality that when we stand face to faith, face with God that all things are made right, that we're, the Bible talks about us being glorified. But I want you to know this, okay? It is a lie. Like if you've got it in your mind, if there's this sin that you've been struggling with and, and you've accepted, like, I'm just going to struggle with this. I'm going to continue to sin my whole life. It's a lie. That one of the things the Holy Spirit does is he actually sets us free from the slavery to sin. Like, if that's all through Scripture. You read the Exodus. Like, the, the whole image of the Exodus is the people of Israel are leaving slavery. They're free from their oppressors. And, and then we're supposed to look at that image and say, that's what Jesus does in us. That the Holy Spirit actually empowers us to live in a way that is totally free from, from sin and wickedness. And so, I just want you to, to know, like, maybe there's something that you've struggled with for many years. Like, freedom is possible. Not in your own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? 
He also empowers. The other uh, side of this empowerment is, is, and we'll get to this in, in, in later series, but he, when the Holy Spirit comes upon people, he's, like, they speak new languages. They pray over people and people are healed. Like God does amazing things. He empowers his followers to do things that they could not do in their own strength. But here's where I want to uh, close today before we do communion together. That what Jesus is getting at in this passage is that the Holy Spirit actually creates intimacy with God. Do you know that? In, in, uh, in verse 18 of this chapter that we just read, Jesus says to his followers, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans. So when Jesus is introducing the Holy Spirit to his followers, he's saying to them, like, when I leave, you're not, you're not orphans. You know, an orphan is a person who, for whatever reason, doesn't have parents or guardians in their life. Either they were abandoned or those people died or all kinds of things, you know, circumstances led to a person being an orphan. And it's a scary place to be if you've got no protection, if you've got nobody looking out for you in the world and you're vulnerable. And Jesus, he wants his followers to know. He says, I'm not leaving you like that. I will come to you. And so the Holy Spirit in us actually creates this sense of intimacy with God. Okay? And so, and so maybe, maybe you've been tempted to be distracted by some of the extreme teachings on, on the Holy Spirit and some of the things that you're like, oh, I'm not sure about that. Jesus, I want you to know, when he first introduces who the Holy Spirit is to his followers, he uses this word parakletos. He says, I'm not, like, I will be with you. I will help you. I will counsel you. I will teach you. I will guide you. And when the Holy Spirit is inside of you as a follower of Jesus, you are reminded, like, God's my dad. Like, I'm his child. And in the darkest, most difficult moments, there is no truth greater than the truth that you are a child of God, of the king of the universe. And Jesus wants his followers to know that he will come to them, he will be in them, and he will remind them that, that they are children of God. This, um, you may be familiar with this painting. If, you, if you've ever gone to the habit, you've, you've seen this really beautiful uh, painting. And it's actually, if you, if you go to the habit, um, it's, it's done with, I think it's marble. Um, and and the, uh, Scott Morrison's brother actually made this, and it's, it's, it's up on the wall in there, and it's, it's really beautiful. But this, uh, this was made by a man named Andrei Rublev in the 14th and 15th centuries when he lived. He was a monk in the Eastern Orthodox Church. And do you know the, the reason he, ma- he made this icon was because he wanted a visual to teach people about what it's like to have a relationship with God. And so this icon, the, the figures you see in here, represent Father, Son, Holy Spirit, okay? And you'll notice, and you could look at this, and there's all kinds of different takeaways you can get from it, but uh, I remember spending some time with this a few years ago, and, and the thing that stuck out to me most from this icon was that there's like, there's a, there's a place missing from this, right? So you've got Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the triune God, you know, the, the, there's the perichoresis, the divine dance, there, there's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're all there. And it's like that missing place, it's an invitation for you and I. Like, do, do you see what Jesus is saying here to his followers? He's like, he's saying, I'm inviting you into relationship with God Almighty. 
So he, he reveals to us in John chapter 14 that God has revealed as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's this incredible unity. Have you ever looked at a group of people and wished, I wish I could be in with them. I wish I was accepted by them. I don't know. You know, I remember being in high school and, and there was some seasons where if I was doing something cool, I felt like I was liked, but a lot of times I felt like a loser. And, and I would look at certain groups of people that would, they, they'd be off doing all the cool things or the fun things. And I just wished, like, I wish I got an invite. I wish I could be a part of that group, right? I don't know if you've ever felt like that. Or maybe, maybe it's beyond high school. Maybe even now, you look around and there's groups where you're like, I wish I could be a part of that. They, they seem fun. They seem like things are cool. Maybe if I was a part of that group, I would just fit in. Like Jesus is saying, like, the best group ever is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There is no other relation, there's no other community that would be more worthwhile than being a part of. And Jesus is saying, like, I'm inviting you in to that, that kind of love, that kind of intimacy, that kind of relationship. It is profound. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're gone. And today, that's right. Yeah, they're gone, man. They're, they're with him. Today, we are his, his disciples, right? Yeah. And, and that's what Jesus is inviting us into is, is that we, when we say yes to him, we are his followers. We're actually invited into this incredibly beautiful divine dance of God. And so I'm not going to close with, I'm going to let Jeremy's going to come up and close us with communion. Um, usually I would want to close with, with uh, an application, but today our application is going to be communion. Uh, and, and when we take communion together, we are saying yes to, to all that Jesus is, and we're a part of who he is. So Jeremy can come up, and I'm going to invite the team to come up as well, and uh, we're going to close today with, with communion.